he says to me, do you know what's going I mean, have you heard about Mike? And Mike was a guy that we were both struggling at the same time. Um, he was dealing with the girlfriend. I was dealing with my wife. We were probably both drinking. Um, and I was like, no, what's going on with Mike? He's like, he's dead. And I was like, what do you mean he's dead? I was I just had dinner with him two weeks ago. He's like, he's gone. Welcome to Stories of Recovery. My name is Matt Shedd, and this is the third episode in which we're taking a more documentary-style approach to sharing people's recovery stories. We're continuing to focus on the spiritual awakening that our clients experience at Mar Addiction Treatment Center as they work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. AA describes a spiritual awakening as a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. Another way to say this is that the real work of transformation begins when a person stops drinking or using drugs and they are once again confronted with the thoughts and feelings that originally led them to abuse substances. We have seen that time and again when a person surrenders through the transformative experience of the 12 steps, they lose interest in returning to drinking and using and find access to hope, connection, and meaning in a way that they've never experienced before. That's what this series is about. And in keeping with the documentary format, in addition to hearing from the person in recovery, we're also including interviews from people close to the person who witnessed their transformation from the outside. Today we're going to hear about the recovery of Brian Kay, a man with a big heart who was close to losing the thing he cared about most in the world, his family. I was, my wife and I were not doing so well um i was doing things i shouldn't have been doing um and i didn't feel good about it so i was drinking a lot um which kind of led me to being kicked out the house and sleeping in my truck for a little bit in in my driveway uh i showed up at a baseball game at my kids baseball game and and kind of made a fool of myself and um uh, my wife gave me an ultimatum and asked me to to go to, to treatment, and I accepted it. I don't remember too much from the very beginning. I just remember he looked down at the ground a lot. That's Matt Irwin, one of the counselors at Mar, who ended up becoming Brian's primary therapist. I could just tell that Brian was experiencing a lot of shame I think a shame about the past and shame about all the events, especially that got him to Mar. So um, I was really concerned that he wouldn't be able to stay. He just had, uh, he just felt so bad about himself. Um, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most. And this is Ashley McQueen, Brian's residential manager, on his first impressions of Brian. He was rather stoic, and, and he wasn't lying, but he was being dishonest. He didn't even know it. He was either trying to do or appear like he was doing the right thing. So that, on some level, that was important to him. And we were trying to just say, we just want you to be who you are, not who you think we want mm. you to be. Throughout his story, these two men come up again and again as strong influences that guided his recovery. Their influence was particularly important because of the rough experiences that Brian brought with him to treatment, but also because of what would happen during it. 
I came in in April. I came in on my kid's birthday, April 24th of 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a tough day. I felt kind of relieved at one point, maybe that it was all over. Um, the running and gunning and not feeling good about myself. Um, but I was also like sad and disappointed, of course. And coming in, like I said, coming in on my kid's birthday made it just that much worse. How old were your kids when you got here? They were 10. Okay. You yeah. have two? Twin boys. Twins, yeah. Twin boys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're 14? Yeah, they're 14 now. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and, and you know, sometimes you, I wish that they didn't understand what was going on, but they, they, they're, they were old enough to know what what was going on with me. I wanted to be here, and I, I wanted to be actually be a dad, and I was tired, man. I was, I was tired, and I was beat down, and I was definitely like, I think I want to be here, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be here. If if that makes any sense, yeah. When I see you now, it's like you're just such a calm, like gentle kind of presence. And it's hard to believe that you're going through that kind of turmoil, you know. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. That was the kind of person that I was all this time. Nobody really knew what was happening with me or the things that I was actually going through. And I I bottled it up for a long time that, you know, eventually one day that stuff will explode. I usually try to give off the present that everything's all right when everything's not okay. Mm. Um, so it was always hard for me to express that I am not okay. After a few weeks in treatment, Brian had a chance encounter, one that looking back on it, he doesn't believe was a coincidence. He met an old friend who told him some difficult news, and as hard as it was to hear, it was news that he felt reassured him he was on the right path. I learned that there is no such thing as coincidence. Like, it's like the right place, right time is is meant to be type of thing. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the area, but there's a disc, Frisbee disc golf place, like right down from the, from the apartments that the, the guys like to go to. And one day, one of the my community member John was like, "Let's go over there and play actual like golf there at the thing with some wiffle balls and a and a golf club." And I was like, "All right, that sounds like fun." So we go over to this place and we're both just like shanking these wiffle balls all over. And you know, when you go to do a wiffle ball, it takes all of twenty five minutes to just go through the course or whatever. But this took a little time, and we get through. It was John and I. Um, we're walking to his car, and I run into a buddy that I, I knew, um, a volleyball buddy of mine. Um, he was walking his dog there, and we were talking, and, and of course, he didn't know what was going on with me. I didn't know what was going on with the, everything around me. You know, I don't have a cell phone. I can't. And he says to me, do you know what's going I mean, have you heard about Mike? And Mike was a guy that we were both struggling at the same time. Um, he was dealing with the girlfriend. I was dealing with my wife. We were both drinking. Um, and I was like, no, what's going on with Mike? He's like, he's dead. And I was like, 
what do you mean he's dead? I was I just had dinner with him two weeks ago. He's like, he's gone. And wow. I got into the car with, with John. I remember talking to John. I was like, this is not like, this is not like a coincidence that I run into this buddy of mine that's talking to him about a really good friend of mine from volleyball that passed away. I got no cell phone, the right place, right time. I guess Matt, Matt Irwin calls it a, uh, a God moment, you know. Uh, but it was my spiritual, this is my spiritual thing, like I'm in the right place. I would have never got that information if I didn't wasn't shanking those wiffle balls mm -hmm. and taking that much more time. And if I would have played frisbee golf, I would have probably even not even seen this guy. And it just it, it everything lined up for me to get the information about a really close friend of mine passing away from drinking. Wow! Right, me feeling that I was not there, and like, okay, I must be in the right place. This is where I need to be. And that's when, like, I started to hear things. So that was, like, two weeks in. That's when I started hearing things differently. One of the, Maybe one of the many light bulbs kind of clicked, up, you know, turned on for me. And that's when my spirituality actually changed. God put me there for a reason at that park on that day to get that, that message and to have somebody there to talk about it with, you know. Brian's first few weeks were eye-opening. He realized that he'd been living a life he didn't want to lead. A people-pleaser that was really concerned about his own image, being accepted at the cost of the truth, or what was actually good for him and other people. Brian had failed to latch on to the 12 steps previously, going to an AA group in the everyday world. However, the camaraderie of the round-the-clock group setting at Mar was what kept him in treatment. And he'll tell you that it was his friendship with one man in particular that really helped him open up and started to turn things around for him. That first couple of weeks was crucial. I mean, was was the best. I can truly say I met my best friend here. It was a gentleman by the name of um, Joel Harrelson, um, guy from Tennessee, a salesman. And he was the funniest guy. I'm from the city. He's he's, a, he's from the country. I'm black. He's white. You know, um, it was one of those things like you didn't know if it was going to going to going to mix, but it just like it it mixed just like Kool Aid. I mean, we did everything together. We was like, you know, even when we were all buddy, we were still one buddy. You know, so even if it was just taking out the trash, he's a great dude. I would see them walking together a lot. And Brian was a very tall guy, wore athletic sort of clothes. And Joel was a much shorter man that was very well-groomed and wore, like, looked like he was out for a real golf outing or something like that. And they looked very opposites. And to see them walking along, and they walked a lot and talked a lot. And I, that's how I became aware first that there was a relationship there was just by seeing them together and and I'll tell you there's one other thing that they had in common is both of them would rather talk about you than themselves so they do that with each other <laughs> um, so it was like okay that works that's that's a good fit 
he made it he made it easy to talk to and that's what that's what i was that's what i was needing i was needing somebody to like express some true feelings with because i really didn't know how to talk about feelings and it was just so easy for me to talk to to joel he was like he made sobriety relaxing or real, realistic where i can actually be sober and still have fun you know so and that's that's what i was lacking i was lacking community talking to somebody and actually having fun again I think Brian could see himself in Joel and Joel could see himself in Brian and um, they had more compassion for each other than they had for themselves. Um, so I think they were able to sort of team up and and be available for each other. And then, you know, they went different paths. Uh, uh, and I and I don't know. I don't know the reason for that. He was determined to go home. Um, he wanted to get back to his kids. His situation was was pretty tough. I wanted to go home too, but I didn't really have a home to go to if, unless I was going back to my truck, you know. And so I decided to go to three quarters. And he was determined to go home to to be with his kids. With his best friend gone, Brian encountered the hardest thing he says he's ever done. I was asked to move to another apartment. And so new guys started coming in and I had one of the guys that came in, you know, he came in, he didn't have very many clothes. And so I had given him some pants. We were almost about the same height and some pants and a couple shirts just trying to like, you know, you, you may need these, you know, and he was, he was thankful. I mean, he was, he was cool with it, um, but he never wore the pants. Right. Um, so, I mean, one day I just like, well, if he's not going to wear my pants, I'm just going to I'm just going to take my pants back. So uh, I, I go in the closet and I pull my pants. I think a Kratom fell, falls out wow. of the pants. Kratom is a plant based drug that you can often purchase at gas stations or head shops, and it can replicate some of the effects of using opioids. Needless to say, this is a banned substance when you're in treatment at Mar. He's getting on. And we had something that happened earlier when he first came in that they found some Kratom in the, in the pantry of the apartments. He had like in another, like a food box. And this guy had said that he didn't know what Kratom was, which I didn't know what Kratom was because I, I don't, I didn't, I've never used like stuff besides alcohol. And so we, you know, that was there. And then like when it, when that, when I did that and I pulled it down and that fell out, I felt some kind of way about it. I didn't talk to anybody in the community. Didn't, I didn't process it with none of the other guys. I was 70, 80 days in. I was two thirds of the way there. That was a turning point for Brian because Brian basically then had to say something that was going to cause somebody either to have a consequence or to be unhappy with him. So he was going to have to do something that caused a conflict with someone else or with the community. And he was able to do that, even though I think it was really hard for him. Brian had to carry that to figure out what to do, and he could not tolerate the conflict inside of him which was wonderful 
So it was so uncomfortable that he had to say something. And that was, I think, a good experience for him. You know, what he probably would have done in the past was drank so that he didn't have to say something and he would have avoided all of that. What do I do with this situation? I don't want to. I don't want to tell on someone, but I don't want to be around this behavior. So I go in and I and 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 I have a conversation with Ashley about it. I didn't confront the guy. I just told staff about it, and that was probably one of the toughest things I ever I've ever had to do. I felt like I went against like the brotherhood type of thing. I've never. I've, I've never been in a situation where I had to like say something about somebody, but care about them enough to not wanting to say something about it. What happened was the guy got kicked out, and I had a really hard time with that because I felt like he's going to die. In addition to going through all this, while Brian was still at Mar, he also heard some very bad news about his friend Joel, the guy he met at Mar who he became best friends with, who had left treatment while Brian stayed. He didn't make it. He made everybody laugh, but, you know, again, his laughter was a deflection from what was really going on inside of him. Joel had esophageal varices, a condition that can be caused by heavy drinking. Joel knew that drinking again could lead to internal bleeding and even death, but unfortunately, the knowledge of the severity of his condition wasn't enough to save him. He started drinking again, and eventually he died. He had a big heart for others and didn't know how to take care of himself. We were both going through the same situations. It actually made me more determined, you know. I was I was hurt uh, for, for a while. I don't, I, you know, I, I really don't, that part of the disease was, was mind-blowing to me to see people that can know that they can die and still do it. It kind of like, it. I don't know. It's, it, it's. I don't. I don't get that. I, I still want to live. You know, some people don't really care. But it made me that much more determined to stay sober and to actually try to do some things differently. Brian stayed on in treatment and continued working the twelve steps. He was also working on his marriage with his individual counselor, Matt and his commitment to his recovery and the men that he was in treatment with continued to deepen. And seemingly out of the blue one day, he received some much-needed good news. He ran into the man who he had turned in for using Kratom, and the greeting was much warmer than he had expected. We were at church two weeks later, and he, he was there with another sober, uh, sober living place. Mm. I apologize for it. He says, Brian, you... You don't need to apologize. You actually may have saved my life. At that point, I was like, okay. And maybe that's when, like, um, things, like, really started. Like, I can actually be honest with somebody. I can actually care about somebody. I can actually trust that it's going to be okay if I do things that maybe people... I don't have to please everybody type of situation Mm -hmm. where it's not like... Maybe I can get the respect, more respect by being straight up with somebody, right, than to not say anything and just think everything's okay. 
Throughout all this, Brian's counselors and his treatment plan at Mar had been with him each step of the way, and as his journey at Mar reached its conclusion, he felt like he had a fighting chance to realize the life that he wanted for himself when he'd entered treatment all those months ago. In particular, he credits Matt Irwin, his individual counselor, for helping him save his marriage. To this day, um, I owe Matt a lot, especially I, I think I think I owe him my relationship with my wife and my my marriage actually, because he allowed me to he allowed me to like say what what I was thinking and bring in like a different side of it but like well what about the other part Mm. there's two parts of this marriage i don't know man i've learned a lot from that i think what we were doing really didn't have anything to do with his relationship but it was more about just waiting just keep doing the next right thing no matter how small it is and just let time be time which is very difficult for anyone to do Um, and the primary thing he was concerned about was his relationship. So I am not a relationship expert and far from it. And I'm glad he thinks of me so highly, but I think, um, he got the results that he got because we just constantly talked about waiting. And sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a certain type of personality and a lot of people with alcoholism and, and addiction seem to have this. It's that the unknown is painful and we had almost rather have a bad result or something we don't want, but at least have an answer. Like I got to have an answer either way, either yes or no, you know, are you staying? Are you going? Or am I hired or fired? Or I want to know right now. And, and we just talked about waiting every now and then I would cheat a little bit with him. And I would say, I'm pretty sure your wife wouldn't still be involved in counseling and still be communicating with you if she was done. Um, She seems pretty much invested. Your issue is going to be, can you just give her the time she needs and, and, and do your stuff? There was one word that Ashley kept saying to me. From the time I got here to the time I went to three quarters and in... Some days he still says it to me in his, his patience. Um, uh, he says, you might be okay, but you, you, you're going to be patient. And, you know, I, I love Ashley. Um, I, I think he's a great guy. He's definitely somebody I still go to this day to have conversations about. Um, he is truly a remarkable an understanding man. Um, but he doesn't give you the answer, but he'll, he'll kind of lean you that way, you know. Brian's experience here as a client, I think really uh, puts him in a position and qualifies him uniquely to help guys that are in treatment because he truly has an experience. Uh, with some of the things that they face and are going through, he has that experience. Um, so he he knows and he comes from a place that's true with that. And so I just, I appreciate that in him. When he was here, um, I did this anger management course and I don't do that anymore. But one of my favorite things about that was um, when the class was over, 
it was usually six or seven guys. We would come to my house and we would um, eat a dinner together and just say goodbye to each other. And of course, you know, I liked that they got to meet my family and it was just a goodbye thing. And my son Davis was maybe two or three months old and um, and Holly, my wife, had, had made dinner for us and we're all and we're all eating and we're sitting down at a big table and enjoying ourselves. And Davis had been asleep and he started crying and Holly was just exhausted, you know, and she just sort of sighed. And Brian said, keep eating. I'll take care of it. And he, when he got up, I, I just immediately, I was like, it's okay. <laughs> He's got it. And he went and picked Davis up and just stood up with him and walked around the house and rocked him. And, um, it was just one of those moments, like, I already knew that about him and I already felt that way about him, but then when I saw him do that, it was just like, man, this is like... His behavior today is in line with who his heart is. When I met him, it was the exact opposite of that. And just to be able to see that come full circle and all of the people that have relationships with him today, especially his sons and his wife. And um, and I know his mother-in-law is very special to him too. And just, just that people get, like he's back in line with who he is and everybody benefits. I love him, you know, I really love him and I've gone to love his family, getting to know them through him. Ultimately, Brian's realignment of his self and his actions with his determination and his patience saw him through. He left Mar and returned to his wife and twin boys. He stayed in touch with Joel's family too. And last November, Brian and his wife renewed their vows in a ceremony officiated by Joel's dad, a former pastor. Some days are good, some days are bad. Uh, I still struggle with it. But that's the reason I'm so thankful for the program and, and all the Mar and everybody, because I still have people that I can talk to, and they are able to say, you need to say what's on your mind. And I have that support system there. So it's really important that I continue to use that. Brian has been sober now for over four years. He now works at Mar as a residential manager. My name is Matt Shedd, and our executive producer is David Tate. Thank you for joining us, and we're already looking forward to next time.